Welcome to the Lazy Women's Making It in Western Europe series, where we take you through the personal stories of young Eastern European women in their quest for defining the meaning of identity and belonging. In episode four, I'm talking with Nino. Nino is originally from Georgia and over the years has lived in multiple countries all around Europe. Recently, she's made a full circle and returned back to her home country. I was really curious to hear more about her decision to come back, which countries felt the most welcoming, and Georgia's long path towards EU accession more generally. I think it was a really, really fascinating conversation, also because Nino has a background in nationalism studies, which, you know, combined with her personal reflections and experiences made for a really insightful mix. So... I hope that you will enjoy listening to it. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Making It in Western Europe, our new podcast series. I'm Lucy, and today I'm joined by Nino. Nino is originally from Georgia and has lived all over Europe. And I'm really excited to have her here today to hear more about her journey, sort of how it compares, you know, to life in her home country and just generally her plans for the future. So hello, Nina. It's really lovely to have you here. And maybe as a form of introduction, can you tell us, please, where you are currently based? What are you doing there? Just, you know, like, so that we get the first gist about uh, about your story. Hi. Hello, everyone. And thank you, Lucy, for having me here. It's really an honor and also a very interesting uh, initiative to reflect back on our experiences and back on Europe. So as, as for me, I'm currently in Tbilisi, Georgia, working at the University of Georgia School of Social Sciences. Basically, I am in my final stages of uh, finalizing the PhD. So writing up my dissertation on actually big part of my dissertation is also on perceptions of Europe from Georgia. So this has been something that I've been thinking for the last five years at least. Besides that, I don't know, big part of my, my days are taken by our puppy, Gnocchi. <laughs> And uh, I'm, I'm also in the process of starting a family. So that's kind of where I am now, academically and personally. Amazing, big, uh, big congratulations. And I didn't actually know even that you were back in Georgia. I think last things, you know, I saw on social media, you were in Scotland and all over the place. So I'm sure we'll discuss that further. Uh, maybe one question actually about what you've just said about your research and the focus on perceptions of Europe. This is actually something I wanted to focus on a bit more during our conversation, the whole Georgia has recently gotten an EU candidate status, finally, after many years of fighting for it. Would you like to tell our listeners more about this entire sort of backstory of Georgia's um, ascendancy to the EU and like yeah, the perceptions of Europe and also your own perceptions while we were growing up, like what Europe meant to you, you know, like why did you decide to move there? Has it always been the plan, etc.? Thanks. Well, uh, these are the questions that probably would take me very long to reflect on, but maybe I'll pick just, pick just some of them. I mean, the West has been a huge part of uh, Georgia's, especially post-Soviet development, so last 33 years now, I guess. But it's been always there. The idea of the West as kind of a natural home for Georgia has always been there. It was always attended by this imperial 
kind of influence, uh, especially from the northern neighbor, from Russia. But basically, the West was always something that Georgians desired to be part of in general terms. But also, I found during my research, but also from my observations, that there is no one idea of what the West is. And also, there is no one attitude towards what the West is. So this is very various and uh, sometimes even contradictory even in kind of congruent ideologies or political or social actors etc so this is something that also sometimes defines how we understand how georgians if i say we if i belong myself to this category how georgians kind of draw lines internally as well so if you are pro-western or pro-european that also kind of is supposed to say something about you on local terms and on local issues. So that I think is very important, especially at this point in this political environment when Georgia has constitutionally confirmed that it wants to be a Western aspiring country and uh, has gotten some some response back lately. So I think that defines big part of uh, Georgian identity, internal identity as well. But I would say that unfortunately this expectations and anticipations have been far along than the knowledge and actual acquaintance with with the West in Georgia. And I'm sure this was the experience for many Eastern European countries on their way. So this is quite complex, but also a very, very important question, I think. And how has it been for you personally, you know, growing up in uh, Georgia? Like, has Europe always been this, like, big brother that you maybe were thinking about moving to at some point? Or, like, what was your perception of uh, of Europe in uh, general and the West? Mm-hmm. I would say it was initially cultural, maybe, as for many, many people. So it was starting from the movies and maybe in the younger age, starting from the cartoons. So it was like a division whether you prefer the Western cartoons or whether you prefer the cartoons from the socialist past, because they kind of build different types of personalities and different types of values as well. So, of course, then I did not realize that, but that's something that I come to realize a little bit later. Then, of course, it was the place of quality, to say in this way. So quality education and quality career or... Uh, even the quality products, <laughs> especially after the turmoil of the 90s that Eastern European countries went through with the civil wars and all the economic collapse, the West was the place where you could actually live the quality life. So that's something that I, I was uh, growing up with, but it was also distant. So Georgia, as you know, is distant from other European countries with the sea. So this idea of distance the physical distance really makes, at least in past, in my childhood, made the idea of that that's really far. So people who would travel to, I don't know, Germany was a bit closer, but let's say US, that was something that, okay, they are they are gone. <laughs> they are really far. Uh, well, with the communications and with uh, understanding kind of uh, coming closer to the West, both in political and social terms really changed a lot. So people don't perceive this distance so much. And I personally now, of course, do not perceive that there should there is such a big distance. But of course, this distance still comes up in many ways. I don't know, be it internalized or be reminded by the West sometimes to the Eastern people. 
Of course, of course. Uh, has your uh, perception changed? You know, now that you're back after living in Europe for a few for a few years, like what was the initial sort of encounter with uh, Europe? I don't know, like where your expectations met, or where you, you know, maybe disappointed by some things. Um, I was pretty young back then, so I, as you know, our expectations are always high when we are young or really low. <laughs> They are never matchy. So I don't know, it was definitely, definitely harder than I would ever anticipate it to be. But also it was way more fascinating than I would anticipate. But th this is just a personal experience because you kind of, you have the best research done before, what, what you should expect, but you never expect uh, the that you will have in your 17 years old self uh, claiming at the immigration office that you are, that you are fine. <laughs> <laughs> that you are that you are worse worse the visa and you can you can spend a summer school in uh, Slovakia for example to learn the language right so this this is something that you don't anticipate as a young person so these parts of reality of course are something new and uh, also was something new for me but generally I would say that this moving around part for me was really forming. So I would say that my persona formed in, in this moving around. So it, I have to ascribe it to the Europe to the large extent. Yes. Let's maybe, yeah, go more into detail about your experience in Europe. So when uh, did you arrive? You know, what countries have you actually lived in? Um, how did you find the entire experience? And why did you come here in the first place? Yeah, so basically... All my experience of moving around the West is related to the studies or research up until now. Uh, I started to actually first time uh, move around for the language courses in, I don't know, I was quite young, under 20. Then afterwards, I went to Poland for a longer time during my bachelor studies in Warsaw and then from there to Germany also for the shorter periods for the semester of studies. And then Hungary came and Hungary was the most forming and the longest time for me to live abroad. I spent there almost four years, I think. And uh, also these were the ages when actually everyone has to kind of identify with social group or find themselves or kind of get to know their adult self. So this was very important. These were the the years of uh, kind of thinking about yourself, but also to think about where you are and how you introduce yourself to the environment where you are. How do you place yourself in the environment? You know, when we think about our younger ages, it's it's been always challenging to find a place in the society and especially in a society that does not really know you as such even culturally then it becomes way way more challenging but after Hungary I came back to Georgia for a little little period that was the COVID times which now is crazy to think about it was four years ago but still COVID times kind of uh, let me close the circle of this longer moving around and after that I was just spending shorter fellowships uh, here and there in Switzerland and in Scotland and uh, of course every experience is different but in every experience you are the same so you kind of have similar ways to deal with the new cultures new social groups 
and you still maintain your coping mechanisms to keep some links to what you knew as a home and this kind of stuff. So I don't know, one, one thing I have to remember that initially it was really challenging for me to build relationships because I never saw that I would be in that place for a long time. So, you know, you always are, is it worse to actually put an effort and get to know so many people, etc., beyond, you know, just uh, initial group mates and stuff. But after a while, you come to realization that it's not the time that matters, but it's just the experiences, even if they are for a shorter time and they are really, really important to how you actually build up your persona. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I find it uh, really fascinating because in uh, our second episode with Dorina about uh, Austria, we were actually discussing the fact that it was really hard for her to actually build any real friendships uh, with the local population. And I was actually telling her about my experience in Italy, where you have a lot of these, you know, exchange students or people who just come for a very short time. And it's too taxing for the local population, you know, to like try and really like introduce these people into their bubble. So I find this, uh, you know, tension really interesting about like what actually makes you feel at home abroad, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And uh with the time passing it becomes harder and harder because we are all caught up in our own schedule in our own timeline and of course even if you are home even if you are in your own culture it's hard to make time for friendships and family and etc but in a new environment when you need way more time to build friendships that sometimes is very tricky and not all the cultures are similarly I don't want to use the word accepting, but maybe welcoming or open would be would be a better word. And uh, once you feel that, you know, it's a big nudge to not to pursue it. So I I I, I think that's a mostly most shared experience around me too. Yeah, I agree. Uh, were there any surprises on the way? You know, like uh, you were in quite a few countries, so. What what was uh, this comparison, you know, between living in all of these places and yeah, how did you find it? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Of course, it, it is full of surprises. I think it's a huge part of it. Even the minor, minor stuff, you know, how people do this and that, how people shop, you know, what's the culture of, I don't know, saying thank you to the bus driver or not saying thank you to the bus driver because it's different in in Scotland, you actually do do say that, but in Hungary, <laughs> I, I don't think everyone, even the bus driver, would be so much welcoming of that. This small stuff that no one notices and you have to observe and kind of learn as you go, this is very important. And uh, I mentioned earlier that you stay yourself in, in these different environments, but you kind of partially give up some part of yourself for the sake of fitting in. And for the sake of adapting to this, I would say cultures, but with cultures, I mean the way of life, the way of doing stuff, the way of everyday conduct. These were, of course, very different. And initially, I can remember that my sense of not making a mistake was bigger than later on. So not being inappropriate for this new culture or not, I don't know, not eating in a way that I didn't know how these people were doing it. So this kind of stuff were, of course, uh, hidden challenges that I don't think anyone really warns you beforehand. Or those stuff come up once you make the mistake, you know, we do this, 
in different way. <laughs> and then, of course, you didn't want to be introduced uh, in that way. So it's it's pretty challenging, and especially for people who are, you know, CU was very diverse itself, so you did not feel like you were actually taken in the host culture, but you were taken in this multicultural culture itself. So it was a bit different, but then later on with other workspaces or you know, families in the Hungarian culture, let's say, you encounter those stuff that you had no idea or you didn't want to seem insensitive or inconsiderate, but you just didn't know <laughs> or uh, you just had not have enough information about it. So these are definitely some surprises along the way, but I guess they are all fine in the end. In the end, you learn how this stuff are done and basically these these are your gatekeepers to this culture so after all it's all fine absolutely i think the whole idea about um, misperforming you know in society is a very big thing for many people who emigrated and just generally like the desire to be a good migrant and not like make mistakes even though no one really knows what the rules of the games are (laughs) so i completely relate to that in terms of you've been mentioning quite a bit how this experience influenced your identity and your understanding of self. Would you like to maybe go a bit deeper? What did you learn about yourself throughout this process? You know, what each country sort of brought in and how this trajectory of first trying to fit in, but then, you know, maybe not assimilation wasn't wasn't as important as like more bringing your own experiences into the picture. How has it all pan out? Yeah, uh, I think your question is exactly what my answer is going to be, <laughs> partially. So, uh, you know, if, when I think of myself, and as one does, you you have some moment of life, you know, when, when you start actually to recognize that who you are and how do you respond to the question, who am I, and these kind of things. And I think these are very much related to my experiences of this moving around and uh, being in different countries than I am originally from. So these are very, very important for my uh, identity. And I have to say that these changed throughout. So from the start, as you also mentioned, you kind of try to give as much for the sake of fitting in and for the sake of being appropriate. But then once you build up, you know, something that you have to kind of you stand strong in your identity and in your place then it becomes easier you know you you know that you bring something valuable with you you bring the knowledge of different culture after all and maybe i'll have i'll I'll make a little detour here my experience was also that at the start i did not feel like i wanted to speak a lot about my culture because i felt like nobody really knew anything about georgia or the place i was from so i did not really want to be too much with that or introduce it or speak too much about it maybe if i'm being honest that i did not think that it was so interesting for for foreigners but this changed throughout the years that i realized that okay i i also know something else right i know one one different language and i know one different culture and maybe some different way of doing stuff and some different way of living and it's not also bad even though I've been always and we always feel more entitled to be critical to our own cultures than to the foreign cultures but even that kind of aided to my self-perception in in these strange places 
and it made it way more easier to to get around and to do stuff when you know that you might be different and that's okay because you are initially different so kind of I don't want to sound too cheesy but you should embrace that <laughs> as much uh, as you can with the realization that of course these uh, different cultures all had some influence on you and uh, the culture is not a static thing that you just belong or don't belong but you are in negotiation with it as well yeah I absolutely absolutely agree and actually um I find it really fascinating. What do you think is the thing that really makes you Georgian? You know, like what is the thing that you're bringing from your own culture to the to the table? Like how would you yeah, define your relationship, you know, with your own culture and with your own sort of like home country? Oh, wow. That's a, that is a hard question. <laughs> what, uh, what makes you um, Georgian? Um, I don't know. I really, really have no idea. But maybe that that would be the question for someone who who had intro to Georgia via me. <laughs> that that would be maybe easier for them to to spot that. But I guess uh, belonging becomes also s- stronger when you are away, right? You kind of realize what you were belonging to before. Once you stop doing that for for the time being, you never stop belonging of course but you stop practicing it on daily basis then you realize that okay these these are the stuff that I bring from home (laughs) and then you might meet some people from your own country in the foreign land and then you realize that okay we do this stuff in a similar way oh maybe maybe my taste perception is very Georgian (laughs) I have to say that that uh, my standard I find myself that in every place that I go my standard is the Georgian cuisine, and then I try to compare everything to it. It does not have to be understood in a hierarchical way, but still, this is something that really makes me Georgian <laughs> in that sense. Also, maybe the way I approach um, friendships and uh, relationships is very much influenced uh, by the Georgian culture. And I just realized this after having uh, discussions with other Eastern European fellows, you know, and I'm sure that you might also have had those uh, interactions or experiences that you try to compare how the West Europeans do stuff and how East Europeans do stuff in terms of, you know, how open you get, how easily you get into interactions and uh, where does the trust to strange persons start and these kind of uh, things are really regionally kind of formed for me as well. Although I became more and more aware of it, including its flaws and advantages. But still, I think initially I do stuff like that. So, you know, we always had the Eastern European or Eastern, I would say, a group. We always had this differentiation that we initially trust people and then test the trust while the Westerners first let you prove the trust and then then it's uh, it's a stronger bond and who knows what works better but this was something that I also found uh, was um, uh, different really and I don't know I will probably see more of being Georgian I actually have to observe maybe when people say and people sometimes do say oh that's very Georgian of you so that's maybe <laughs> some aspects of myself that are Georgian <laughs> Yeah, I find this really, uh, really fascinating in terms of 
often, you know, it's the outsiders who see it better, what actually sort of defines you, because you often take these things for granted. Or as you said, once you move out, you start seeing what you're missing, right? Like what you're actually homesick for. Like for most people, I guess it's food, for some it's language, uh, but also yeah, different social interactions and just like approaching relationships, I guess, can be a very big part of it. You just mentioned in the response that uh, you feel kinship with like Eastern Europe. So that's actually something I wanted to go maybe slightly deeper into. Like, yeah, where do you see your belonging sort of on this uh, on this scale of are you feeling closer to like Central Asia, you know, or like the Caucasus or like, yeah, do you feel more Eastern European uh, or when you were in Europe, did you feel European per se? You know, like how, yeah, how does belonging sort of have been evolving? Yeah, that's that's a very interesting um, thing to think about as well and belonging in general. I've been fascinated by this idea of belonging and what crazy stuff it makes you <laughs> do in your life. But um, yeah, you know, I always felt like being Georgian was by default and also it would be my choosing to identify with Georgia or not. So it was more that I always had that in the pocket. So now the different identities I had to acquire and uh, uh, try to fit in, etc., including being European, I had to do stuff for rather than to being Georgian. But I think I think it's not completely right. Uh, after some time, I realized that neither being Georgian or being European was entirely my my choice. And also that it was not only the feeling, right? So the feeling is one part of it, whatever you feel, but there is a huge kind of, I would say, maybe external or administrative part to it that reminds you on daily basis of what this belonging actually could mean. So you might feel as European as you want uh, coming from these non-EU countries, but every July you have to go and uh, still prove why you want to stay in this or that country uh, within the EU. So then what are, what are you going to say? I feel European, so I am entitled to stay. That's not going to run by immigration office. So this visa extensions was really kind of a critical juncture for me when I would remember my identification because, you know, the country you are coming from defines what documents you have to introduce or where you have to go so whether you want it or not how much you want to forget it still is with you and you have to be aware of it and you have to represent it uh, in some cases so I, I don't think it's entirely a choice or entirely a feeling there comes a lot of uh, different aspects to it but um, you know when we speak of eastern europe as well that's itself being a very contested category and uh, <laughs> difficult to discuss i remember one time we had a conference at CU where i had an entire presentation about regions because i was very fascinated about this idea of central and eastern europe and belonging but to put it in a very simple terms i found cultural similarities mostly with my eastern european fellows and be it not not everything that I liked from my own culture, but also stuff that I did not quite like and didn't want to celebrate. But when I saw these shared traits, I was still happy that, you know, that, that that's maybe a place to belong to or to um, see stuff within, from within. And one of that was, you know, this Eastern European really kind of melancholic or ironic way of looking at life that's... I don't know, comes maybe with our literature or our 
God knows what, but it was really something that we all shared that every conversation in the bar had to go down to this essence of life and the, the <laughs> politics and society and this kind of stuff that we found that not many of our Western European friends really cared so much about, especially in Hungary, which is itself a very melancholy country. So <laughs> this this was one thing that reminded me of that. But as I mentioned earlier, it's 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 hard because you are not alone in defining yourself in terms of the regional belonging. Uh, you have to negotiate this first with yourself, then with your society, then with the state that you you are in. And this all can get pretty overwhelming. And I know that a lot of times it pushes people to simply choose the easy belonging. So where I was born, there is where I belong. So this is something that also been um, part of my observation in terms of that but yeah <laughs> yeah I mean how was it uh, in reality though so basically when you were in Europe you spent a few years or like a few months both in the eastern side but also the western side did you feel then more welcome you know in the eastern European bit because of these like cultural similarities or was it actually uh, yeah, different? That's, yeah that's that's a very good question and I, I think you know the answer to <laughs> yourself as well that it's not it's not as you would expect paradoxically uh, you don't feel belonging to that place that you culturally feel like very close and i think uh, there are also some some writings about this um, so the minor differences matter more for people than bigger differences the smaller the differences between cultures bigger people tend to emphasize it for some reason and uh, this is also my experience. I noticed that people try to draw more lines between, for example, I don't know, Hungary and uh, Georgia or let's say Poland and Georgia having similar, you know, socialist experience for a long time, which at least forms, I don't know, 40 years of these countries and the, the state building. So it left similar kind of experiences and similar kind of settings that we were all born into. But still, people were not keen on emphasizing the similarities while they were keen on emphasizing the differences, uh, mostly. The language is also a big part of that, the language difference. In Hungary, I never came to understand or study the Hungarian language. Unfortunately for me, it's such a beautiful language. But so this, I only realized this living in Scotland, that the language really is your gate to that, to that country or to that culture in terms that you can navigate easily and you don't have this internalized, um, I would say, hesitation or fear to engage in very, very banal everyday interactions, say it in the Aldi or in the bus or whatever, you know, like the stuff that makes you part of that society. And you are very hesitant to do that in the country which speaks different language that you also speak uh, than in the country where you speak the language. So language is a really important part. And in that terms, I would have to say that it's easier to belong in a country where you understand at least at least some of the language. So that was my experience in Germany and in Scotland in comparison to, I don't know, Poland and Hungary, even though these are typically closer to my, my space uh, initially than the former. So... Yeah, this is a, a paradox, but um, I, that was my experience. 
I can see that. It's also in terms of, as you were saying, we are known to be more like cynical and sarcastic about life. And once you sort of build this kinship, it's easier to relate. But at the same time, at the beginning, I guess we're often seen as very reserved and uninviting people for many, many different reasons. So which country out of all of the, I think, five, six, uh, however many you've lived in, uh, were you feeling the most welcome in or like the most, you know, homey in, I would say? Hmm. That's also, I, I would not say that full responsibility goes to these countries and cultures, because as we discussed earlier, I was the one initially being too afraid or too, too, doing too, too much or proving too much. So it was later times in Zurich, um, in Switzerland and in Scotland that I started to feel more easy about difference and difference in culture. So uh, that's mostly on me that uh, I, I became more and more comfortable but maybe also these this, uh, places are you know happier in general <laughs> for many reasons but people tend to say that Switzerland is quite difficult to live in for a foreigner as well I found people who lived there for 20 years more and still had no real friendships or no, no real ties to the host community so that also happens and you cannot really do much about it. But um, from my personal experience, the, as my experience of living abroad or living throughout Europe grew, I also became more and more comfortable in the new places and it was less uh, scary or less, you know, testing. Mm. <laughs> And how does this entire experience change your conception of home in general? You know, like what is home for you? When do you know that you are at home? Together with all these experiences, the idea of home becomes fluid, I would say. And um, you might initially don't give it so much importance. And then once, as you mentioned earlier, start missing those stuff that you had and you were taking maybe for granted, then you realize that actually that was my home. And of course, I'm sure many people share this idea that people make home for you. So once you are in this environment where you feel safe, loved, secure, then you start to feel more at home. If I personalize this experience more in my terms, it was a bit a bit peculiar for me because home for me was associated with the readiness or willingness to actually buy a plant or <laughs> take care of the plant because every time I was counting in my head okay can I get this plant without brutally killing it <laughs> and actually having time to grow it uh, then I was realizing okay this might be my home because first I don't know four or five years I never had plant beyond the cactus the small ones you know that you get in Ikea but <laughs> Actually, I, I bought my very first own plant back home uh, in 2020. So apparently as much as I might have denied it earlier that I was missing home or that I had any actual fixation on home, turned out that real home was that that where I could actually have a plant and take care of it. I don't know, it's, it's tied to many things, but uh, the kind of realization that... I could have something more stable was still still uh, related to this process for me so <laughs> I think that's a beautiful metaphor of just uh, you know home being the place where you are 
willing to take care of your plants and like some kind of living being and not be scared of uh, yeah of killing it is is beautiful. Well, now you decided after many years again to go back to Georgia. Was it a difficult decision? Was it something you were planning to do since the beginning? Like, was this European phase just a phase since the outset? Yeah, can you tell us more about that? Yeah, of course. No, definitely. It was, I never really planned to go back to Georgia, at least that, that soon. It was COVID that um, accelerated stuff that I realized Actually, this could be another entire podcast, maybe how COVID really changed people's uh, understanding of where they belong because it started and then you realize that you really, really, really can be alone if in this world-altering situation and as we had at the first uh, weeks of COVID, I think it was really hard because then you actually realize your family is far from you. Before this, this distance did not seem so big with the, you know, social media and the video calls and everything. But then when you actually need closeness or, you know, support, then you realize that it cannot be entirely done via social media. So that really accelerated things and realizations also, because, you know, coming back to the language thing, you don't understand what you are supposed to do. Uh, in this new situation, in the crisis, like the healthcare crisis situation. Also, you feel like you might be not a priority in terms of, I don't know, vaccines and uh, taking care, etc. What if something happens to you and you cannot really call up someone because, you know, you can call your family in this kind of emergencies, but you cannot call some, like a, a friend that you have known for like just two years and ask them to come to the hospital, which is very risky. But you, you can do that with family for, for some unwritten rules, but you can. So this stuff, this maybe not so major stuff really came up during COVID for me. And plus, I don't know, it was just distance became a thing then. And I realized that it might be easier uh, and it might be, it might make way more sense to be in Georgia at the time to be close to the family, to be close to, you know, environment that you can navigate more easily, take care of yourself or your loved ones more easily. So that was entirely decided by COVID. And of course, the factor of the being close to the loved ones for me. So once I could, that was no question to go back home. But I only realized that I was actually home maybe by the end of the year <laughs> after coming home because I thought, okay, this is going to be for several months. And then from September, you know, in thinking academic terms from September, we will see. I might go back, but then uh, then it did not happen. And I thought, I, I realized that I could actually get the stuff that I was missing, not living uh, in, in Georgia for me there and then. And it could have been the time for it, you know, to invest in my relationship and uh, invest in house or home building and uh, this kind of stuff. So kind of to start life, maybe that you have been putting putting off for a little bit. So, yeah, that was uh, that was my experience. Very unplanned. But also, I would say that it was not so bad. It was it was good after all. Yeah, I can imagine that COVID has been a life-changing experience, I think, for most of our journeys uh, in many different ways. 
if I understood it correctly, originally you moved to Europe sort of for like opportunities, right? Like uh, studies and other things that I suppose you were missing in Georgia. Do you think that the situation has changed? Like now being back, you know, do you see space for yourself there? Like is the situation different or have just your preferences changed in this respect? Uh, yeah, of course, a lot of things changed. And also my perception of a lot of things changed. But if I was back in time, even with this mindset, I would still go the same same road, I think. Even with the difficulties and challenges and, uh, you know, all this, uh, I don't know, roller coaster of uh, thoughts and uh, emotions, I would still do that because I think that uh, that was the most valuable and biggest investment I could put in my personal development, not only in terms of the quality of study, right? Because, well, let's let's face it, it can always get better or it can always get worse, but it's the other things that come with it. You know, the CU experience was very forming for me, not merely for the educational programs, but also for the people that I met there and they have been very important for a long time. These kind of things have been very definitive and I would, for that only, I would still do the same and I would still go the similar struggle. But yeah, again, this is something that I never questioned when I was 18. I never questioned that I wanted to, I wanted to do this. So now you're now you're back. Uh, let's maybe look um, into the foreseeable future. So do you feel, you know, do you feel settled now being back in Georgia? I saw that recently you were also chosen in Georgia Forbes 30 under 30. So it really seems like you found, you know, your space, your environment, and maybe like where you can actually make a difference and like really have some kind of an impact. So yeah, how how has your experience been in this respect, and what are your plans for the future? Yeah, I do feel more settled, for sure, in many terms, in personal and in professional terms. But one thing maybe that I will have to mention is that if once you ascribe such a big importance to moving around, you know, every September starts with either a new place or the new experience or something that is related to the suitcases and tickets, <laughs> then you kind of start to associate the personal development with moving and with, you know, being in a new place, which can go either way. You know, once you stop doing that, then you start missing it and you start feeling, oh, should I be doing that? Why am I not doing that anymore? But at the same time, maybe I have to think more about that, that it's not, maybe it has its own time and uh, now it, you can be harvesting the fruits of it and, you know, processing of uh, everything that you got from this moving around experience and actually implement it in your real life if you want to build it. So yeah, I, I, I also like the idea that you can make a difference in the place that you actually started from initially. You, you can make the biggest difference there because you, you know it the most, you know it from within and from the distance. And from the distance, it's way easier to see the flaws and to see the comparisons and other kind of stuff. So you are more competent also in a way to to out, uh, outline those and to do something about it. But that is a bit naive as well, considering the political situations throughout the region now and uh, also in Georgia, it sometimes can be tricky. And when you realize that, oh, you could be actually in distance from this political situation, you could be uh, in distance from 
being worried. Of course, you are still worried because your family is there and uh, you, it's affecting the country that you were born into. But once you are in, you feel this responsibility to to uh, do something about it. And also throughout your studies, uh, you are always told that you sh- you are supposed to contribute to your own society <laughs> with whatever you get from here. So that sticks with you for a long time. And I hope I am doing that. And I feel that in the biggest part when I teach that I'm doing some part of it. Uh, but of course, you always want more. <laughs> uh, you always want to uh, do more. But I do agree with you that the place where you initially start, whether you call it home or you prefer not to call it home, is the place where you actually can do the most for. And that's that's a beautiful idea. And I wish everyone had the chance to do that. Well, I'm also hoping that Georgia is going to join the EU in the foreseeable future, and then it's going to be even easier for you to travel around and, uh, yeah, like make home, but also make it easier to go back if uh, if needed. Um, yeah, is there anything uh, we haven't discussed that you would like to touch upon? Um, I don't know, but I maybe just to add that to wrap where we started from that the idea of foreign place or the idea of the West Europe. You know, from Georgia, the Western Europe are sometimes equally seen as one thing, but of course, it's very different in itself. It's very different. And you only realize that once you are part of it, and then you realize the nuances of it. But it's very, very important for countries like Georgia. And uh, I'm, I'm sure for many countries in Eastern Europe, for many reasons, be political, economic, cultural, etc. And uh, there is even bigger negotiation of ideas and diffusion of kind of practices that we then we speak of. And I think that's something very important. I'm trying to contribute to that field as well, to understanding that in this modern world, things don't happen in vacuum, being it personal identity formation or the country transformation. All this happens always in negotiation with uh, other spaces and it's very important to take into consideration of course it complicates everything <laughs> but it's very very important idea and very important perspective that we have been missing i would say also from research and from uh, academia's perspective in western centric uh, sense that this very entangled region is sometimes being looked at from the very national perspective which is not entirely accurate anymore no absolutely i think the whole idea of coming back to the west and just yeah so ingrained in eastern europe and also i guess uh yeah in georgia and uh, even in central asia etc and yeah these differences just like the different treatment and all of these things this is something that is the core of this podcast as well, right? Like, yeah, West is being seen often as the sort of land of opportunities, but at the same time, sort of deep down, you feel like you should have already been part of it because you've always been part of it. And how come there are all of these issues surrounding it, right? So I think that's a great, uh, yeah, great uh, thought to end on this entire conversation. Well, thank you so much, uh, Nino, for joining us. I think this has been really great and uh, I'm really sure that our listeners will see a lot of value in it as well. Thank you so much for having me. And I really enjoyed having this conversation with you too. And I think you left me with some more thoughts than we started initially. So thank you for that too. I'm glad. Thank you.
Hi, my name is Haga Ali. I'm a researcher at the German Institute for Global and Area Studies and a PhD candidate at the University of Hamburg. I was born and raised in Frankfurt am Main, actually, but my parents were not. My parents were actually from Egypt and they came to Germany during a time where Germany had a labor shortage and they were inviting migrant workers to Germany. My father arrived kind of in the late 70s. My mother followed in the 80s. And like many who arrived in Germany at that time, they hadn't made a conscious decision to, to stay here a long time until I happened in the 90s. That kind of sealed the deal for them. <laughs> um, home to me is not really a place. It's a feeling. It's very abstract. I find it very hard to verbalize. It's the, it's the sound of my mother tongue. So I am a native speaker in German, but my mother tongue is Arabic, like my parents. It is tastes, you know, my mother's food, my grandmother's food, my, my aunt's food, um, traditional Arabic food that I'm doing my best to try and cook, but uh, I don't always succeed. It's where my siblings are. It's uh, being around my friends and my loved ones. So if someone was to ask me where home is, it's um, places connected to certain memories. And that I find is, is something very fitting to how my parents have named me actually. Haga is something that originates from the word hijra, which is pilgrimage. It has a lot to do with travel, with being a little bit untethered on the go. That's how I feel largely about it. And it has a lot to do with this, um, I guess, immigration history and my own biography. To me, whether or not I'm European or German, that has never really been complicated. It became complicated because others made it complicated to me. But, you know, I was born and raised in Frankfurt. I was German. I feel German. I speak German. I have a weird thing for rules and laws, and I get very angry when people are noisy after 10 p.m., <laughs> which is the quintessential German experience. But I'm also in many ways very Arabic. Uh, growing up where I did was, uh, I remember, a very isolating experience. Back then, my family and, and I, we were one of the very few immigrant families in the neighborhood. It was Germans. It was also people from former East Germany, and they kind of always stuck together and they left us, you know, just be. We were the weird strangers from the Middle East that probably will take off and uh, will not stay here for a long time, even though, you know, my parents became at that point in time naturalized citizens. But one of the quintessential memories of my childhood is when I was playing in, in our backyard Obviously, the, the German kids were somewhere else on a, on a different playground. So it was always my brother and me. And our backyard was adjoining to another backyard. And I saw a little girl who was calling out to her mother in Arabic. And I was delighted. I was so excited. I ran back into my house like, Mom, there's someone who speaks Arabic. And I dragged her out. You know, she heard it too. The girl was Syrian. And then the girl's mother also emerged in the backyard playing with the girl and my mother and that woman became best friends. And to this day, I'm also still friends with that girl back then that I had met just because, you know, in the, in the midst of <laughs> the, the Germanness, the isolation and the made to feel like we don't belong, suddenly you hear the sound of your native 
language. And that was, I don't know, a beautiful moment that I love to remember in my childhood. School was not a time I like to remember, especially the early years, because again, I was one of the very few immigrant kids in, in school. And my teachers never quite knew what to make of me because obviously I was fluent in German. I had good grades, but I don't didn't look like many of the other students. Today I wear a headscarf. I started wearing it when I was uh, 18. But back in school, you know, it was me with my hair. And my hair is curly. That's a pretty dead giveaway that <laughs> I have different roots than anyone else. And I remember a lot of fellow students touching my hair, pulling my hair to see my curls move. And yeah, it was, it was difficult. It's um, a time I don't remember fondly. One way that I would process kind of my experience and my thoughts, because I don't consider myself to be particularly eloquent, was writing. I loved writing and painting and drawing and sketching because when you put things to paper, people don't care about what you look like. So I gravitated towards the school newspaper very early on. And one day there was a journalist from the local press that was there and he just asked us to write an article. And I chose to write about my experience as an immigrant. I just put it to paper. I was 13 at that time. And the reporter really liked it. He loved it and it was published in the newspaper. And I learned that you know, when I write stuff onto paper, people will not be distracted by how I look like. They will not be distracted by the fact that I look differently. For me, listening to Nino was um, an interesting window into a very different life and experience, one that I couldn't quite relate to. And part of that really was not where I grew up with and not having immigrated, but looking differently. I don't pass as white, so people can tell exactly before I open my mouth that, you know, I have a different kind of ancestry, that I might not belong, that I'm one of those demographics that are associated with a whole bunch of very negative stereotypes. So growing up, the question for me was never, am I European or am I German? It was, am I allowed to be German, but also not relinquish my, my heritage? And the German immigration discourse is a lot about holding on to that heritage. It's expected that you assimilate. It's expected that you throw everything overboard. And that especially concerns the headscarf. And only then they might consider accepting you. And that's something that goes back to also the history of immigration in Germany, that immigrants were not necessarily welcomed as like future citizens, but as guests that just do the work and at some point take off whenever the Germans don't need them. With my generation, we started kind of asking for a lot of constitutional rights, for better inclusion in society, for integration, and also being given the chance to integrate and to be German on our terms as well, and to be allowed to live our own identity without being made into those ominous threats coming in from somewhere else. I am very proud of my heritage and I do not want to be made to feel like I have to relinquish it to belong somewhere.
my grandparents and my great-grandparents, they were in the anti-colonial resistance. They fought for the right of sovereignty, of ownership, of empowerment in the country. Why would I be ashamed of that? And why would I want to relinquish that? You know, why would I be ashamed of that? Why would I want to have to decide between being German and relinquishing that? So that's a, that's a very different nuance in this discourse that I feel many don't necessarily understand. I moved to Hungary because I wanted a complete change when I finished my studies in Frankfurt. What was hard though, is that I had an incredibly negative image of Hungary when I arrived. 2016 is of course after the, the influx of Syrian refugees in 2015. And the only images I had of that country were, you know, the Syrians just left in the central railway station, treated horribly, the razor fence, the utter racism. That was the only thing I really knew of Central Eastern Europe. I was glad I could even find Hungary on the map. But it's an experience that, especially because of language, taught me a lot about feeling estranged. And I think it helped me relate to my parents a lot more than I ever did. Because, you know, I, I myself didn't have that immigration experience. My parents did. And then I was born and raised in Germany. So I went to Hungary. It's a language that is incredibly complicated, no matter how much I sat down and tried to learn before I actually arrived there. And that was really the first time I truly understood how lonely it must have been for my parents to come to Germany, to be one of the very few immigrants, to have a huge language barrier, because, you know, German is also not a super accessible language. And this is where, to me, home became a much more abstract concept. I would especially try to find new traditions to live, for example, Islamic holidays. Ramadan is my favorite time of the year. It's like you have to imagine 30 days of Christmas. But Ramadan is also a very social holiday for us. You break your fast together with a lot of people. You, you, know, you experience a lot of spirituality, but you do it in a community. And you do it in a group with your friends, with your loved ones. You're together. You celebrate. You appreciate. And... When I was in Hungary, obviously, Hungary doesn't have a big Muslim community. And even if there was a Muslim community, I couldn't find it on my own. But I did it at CEU, where we would have dinners in the evening, even with friends who weren't Muslim. But it was the, the social aspect that I was able to recreate. And yeah, that's, that's when I truly learned that home is so much more than just a very specific place. It's, again, the sound of my language. It's the, the taste of my my mother's food, it's the, it's, I don't know. <laughs> it's very difficult to put in words. Funded by the European Union. Views and opinions expressed are however those of the authors only and do not necessarily reflect those of the European Union or the Directorate General of Communications Networks, Content and Technology. Neither the European Union nor the granting authority can be held responsible for them.